attitudes and responsibility as I think of this meeting together this morning with some of the leaders of our work here in um, Wildwood. God has promised wonderful things to those who meet the condition. He says we do not know what the Lord will do for us if we will come into line. That's what we want, is to come into line, isn't it? Stay in line. First Chronicles, the 12th chapter, and the 32nd verse. This chapter tells of the gathering of the children of Israel to make David king. It mentions the tribes, one by one. In the 22nd verse it says, For at that time, day by day, there came to David to help him until it was a great host, like the host of God. But in the midst of the report of the different tribes, in the 32nd verse comes this interesting statement concerning the men of Issachar. Of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were two hundred, and all their brethren were at their commandment. There is a relation between the two facts stated here. Take the last one first. All their brethren were at their commandment. That indicates unity, cooperation, good organization, good functioning, doesn't it? Is that the way we want it here? Yes. But uh, what's the other fact stated earlier in the verse? Yeah. The heads knew what to do. Is that what a head's for? Yes, a head knows what to do. Now, in order to know what to do, what does it say these men had? Understanding of what? Of the times. Did you ever wake up in the night and look at your watch? What for? Yes, but why? Time to get up. Uh-huh. To see whether to roll over and go back to sleep or to see whether it was time to get up. Am I correct? We've all had that experience many times. And looking at the prophetic clock gives insight as to present duty. And we can never understand how to run a sanitarium for God unless we know what time it is. What time it is. What time is it anyway? Well, it's easy to say it's the last hour, and it is. But uh, I want us to think about this against the backdrop of the stream of time. Here time has been running on for 6,000 years. 
We're down here in the end of time. We think of the cross. We think of the 1844 when Jesus entered the Most Holy. And we look ahead and we think of the coming of Jesus. We think of the close of probation. And here we are in this little remnant of time, just before the close of probation, while Jesus is still in the sanctuary. Now, what is God after? Why has he allowed these 6,000 years? Why is he waiting now, when chronologically his coming should have been long ago? Well, he's waiting for the fruit to be ripe. Is that correct? We all understand that. And may I say, I'm, uh, I'm assuming the fact that all of us here this morning are well informed on hundreds of matters and uh, will not take time to prove everything we refer to. Rather, I want to talk with you about the implications and applications of what we know. But uh, if at any point in these studies we have together, we touch points that you are not sure of, make a note of that. Give me opportunity to give you references that will support those statements. Oh, I pray that all of us may be men that have understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The coming of Jesus is not delayed because men had not yet visited the moon. He could have come before that. Am I correct? There are a vast number of things that even the remnant people of God are thinking about today that have no bearing on the coming of Jesus. There is one thing that Christ is waiting for, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Luke, the first chapter, gives that concerning the work and mission of John the Baptist. And our work is today what his work was back there. Now, this is the mission of the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. I suppose you have read our article in last week's review a digest of what was given at the Fall Council. I suggest you read that and ponder over it, not just because of its identification with this place, but because of our identification, yours and mine, with the great truth of that message. Christ is in the sanctuary and must be until his people learn 
to quit breaking his law, thus breaking his heart. I was impressed by something that Dr. Hansen was sharing with me day before yesterday. He'd been pondering over those wonderful statements in Education 263 on the uh, suffering of Jesus not being confined to the cross, but rather the cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that from its very inception sin has brought to the heart of God. All heaven suffered in Christ's agony, but that suffering did not begin or end with his manifestation in humanity. Every departure from the right, every deed of cruelty, every failure of humanity to reach his ideal brings grief to him. Dr. Hansen was telling me that he had noted much of this before, but the thing that struck him this Sabbath as he pondered over the page was that statement, every failure of humanity to reach his ideal brings grief to him. So uh, there's more to this thing, dear ones, than merely quitting some sin stealing or lying or anger or anything like that. Higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. Do we think that we have yet reached the ideal? Personally? Institutionally? Why, no, we would readily say. Now let's look at the implications of that. That means that we need still to be changed. Is that right? Do you know it's a hard thing to change human beings? This is the problem that God has been up against for 6,000 years. And nearly all the fruit drops off the tree before it's ripe. What I mean is, nearly everybody dies before his character is fully changed. He may be justified all along the way. He may be saved, like the thief on the cross, or like Manasseh, or like a lot of other people. But uh, Christ is hungry to see a generation of saints who fully reflect his image. This is our destiny. This is our call. And this is why we're here at Wildwood. This is not an extension of the Red Cross or the public health service, good as is the work those organizations are doing. No, no. We are an extension of the work of Jesus in the most holy place to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, what does sanitarium work have to do 
with this making ready of people. As far as saving people, like Jesus saved the thief on the cross, that could be done without knowledge of health and health principles. Couldn't it? Haven't multitudes of people in various ages been saved without knowing anything about the Sabbath or health reform? Sure. Well, why cumber up things in this confused age? Why not do like Billy Graham and some of his imitators within the remnant church and just simply, as the saying is, preach Christ and make it simple and just help people to accept Jesus, come to the altar and give their hearts to God and receive, don't miss it, the assurance of eternal life. And that's it. You're all right from then on. You're safe. You're not at first base. You've made a home run. You're in. Of course, if you get interested in five-day plans or weight control clinics or heartbeats that might make you live a little better and a little longer in this world, fine, sure. But uh, that, all that is not a matter of salvation. Now, am I telling the truth in what I've said the last minute or not? It's a mixture, isn't it? It's a mixture. It's the truth that that's the way a lot of people are thinking. But it's not the truth that that's the message for this hour. The message for this hour is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And what does Paul say in 1 Thessalonians 5? Turn now to it, please. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. What is to be preserved blameless to the coming of Jesus? The whole man. All there is of man. So the message for this hour deals with the body as well as the mind and spirit. Why? Because, dear friends, and this is a truth that Seventh-day Adventists understand that the popular churches don't know at all because of their immortal soul doctrine. You see, to them, the spirit of man is something separate from the body. And it can soar off in space and live independent of this corpus. And so, if you get a coronary and die, why, you go to heaven all the faster. The implications of that are not pretty. But you and I believe that what we see, we see with eyes that are made of flesh and blood. What we hear, we hear with ears that are made of flesh and blood. And what we think, we think with a brain that used to be bread and potatoes and milk and beans on the table. 
right? And the question of whether those brain cells have a part, are part hog, has spiritual significance, right? And so with exercise and all the rest. And so, as someone has wisely noted, our doctrine of the state of the dead has implications in our understanding of the state of the living. The two are linked together. They're two sides of one coin. And so our doctrines evangelistically have applications in our practical lives. This is why we have sanitariums. Now, let's note a beautiful reason for all this. Turn in your medical ministry to page 221. The third paragraph. From the first dawn of reason, the human mind should become intelligent in regard to the physical structure. Here Jehovah has given a specimen of himself, for man was made in the image of God. What is a human being? 221 of medical ministry. What is a human being? Yes, but what does it call him here? A specimen. A specimen of himself. Here Jehovah has given a specimen of himself. My, no wonder the devil works to degrade and destroy, defile man. And we're working with God to restore that ourselves and those for whom we labor. And so our work is not merely to patch up, don't miss it, to patch up poor men and women so they can keep on transgressing the laws. Our job is to reach some people who will appreciate the opportunity to be restored to that wonderful image. This is why we teach as well as heal. Now, on this campus, God has given us an opportunity to not merely teach these things, but to demonstrate them. We are here as a family together, living what we teach. And thank God we are, as we've already indicated. We see room for improvement, right? And it is some of these rooms for improvement that I would like to explore with you in these early morning sessions. What can we do to be more like the pattern? And dear friends, if we will come into line there is no limit to what God wants to do. Oh, he's waiting, waiting, waiting to do great things. Turn now to page 15 of Medical Ministry. Bottom of page 15. You may say, why then 
Why not then take hold of the work and heal the sick as Christ did? I answer, you are not ready. What is the inference here? Yes, now turn over and we'll get the inference in plain English. There must be a reformation throughout our ranks. The people must reach a higher standard before we can expect the power of God to be manifested in a marked manner for the healing of the sick. If we will take hold of the Master, take hold of all the power he has given us, the salvation of God will be revealed. Will you read the next sentence with me? Let me tell you that the sick will be healed when we have to come to God in the right way. You notice she goes right on in the practical application. We thank God that we have the medical missionary work. Wherever we carry the gospel, we can teach the people how to take care of themselves. These few pages in this first chapter, Healing Power and Its Source, are strong on the practical balance between faith and works, emphasizing the importance of prayer in the healing of the sick, but emphasizing also the importance of health education and health reform, health practice. Let's put it this way. There are miracles that God wants to work in these rooms, in this institution that cannot be worked until we reach a higher experience than we have yet reached. Now, we've seen some miracles through the years, and I know that day by day, the healing power of God is manifested in these halls and rooms. But folks, we want more than we have, don't we? Oh, yes, we want more. And while we appreciate all the research work that medical science is doing in the great universities and laboratories, we know that the answer to Earth's ills will never come through that channel. It takes a miracle. And God never intended that we should get so wise that all we have to do is turn to a certain prescription or a certain program, and that's it. No. He intended that all the way through we should feel our humble dependence upon God. Our humble dependence upon God. And oh, I want to, don't you? What a shame it would be to get to where we could do it without him. Page 235. 235. Here is a sentence that just stands out like it was written in letters of gold on the page. The first sentence of the first paragraph. Therefore, personal religion for all physicians in the sick room is essential to success in giving the simple treatment without drugs. Now, if that tells me anything, it tells me this, that infidels and modernists can't get the same success with our methods that you and I can get if we're close to God. Is that what it says? Well, dear friend, this is something you may not be able to demonstrate in the laboratory, but you can demonstrate it in human experience.
Thank God. Higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. Thank God we're going up. Now, that leads me to this question. What can you and I do to improve personally and institutionally? What can we do? That's what we're gathered here to study. I invite your personal study. At the moment, we have four studies scheduled. This morning, Thursday morning, next Monday and Wednesday morning. We can have more later if you wish. I invite you to think and pray alone with God. What can I do, each one of us, to lift things? What can we do as a group? There is no limit to what can be done. If this little group that are represented here this morning set their hearts heavenward, no limit. Many of you are home heads. That is, you have people in your home that uh, are looking to you for leadership. Many of you are department heads. That means you have students and others looking to you for leadership. Many of you are dealing directly with patients. Again, that means people are looking to you for leadership. Many of you are leaders in the church, elders, deacons, deaconesses, Sabbath school teachers, so forth. And so, in these various phases of activity, you are leaders. There's nobody here this morning that isn't leading in some of those activities. And some of you are leading in all of them. Oh, brothers and sisters, what a glorious opportunity. What a glorious opportunity to be linked with one hand, with the throne of God, and with the other hand, reaching out to help people. Well, that's what we're doing day by day, isn't it? That's what we're doing day by day. Now, for a few minutes, I'd like to make a few practical suggestions for you to think about. We can look at it more fully. I'd like to suggest that we have a potential in this group right here this morning. If there were nobody else on this campus, a potential in soul winning that we are receiving only very meager returns from. I hesitate to approach this mathematically, but it's a simple way to do it. Let's see, there are two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen of us here this morning. Suppose each person here this morning won one soul to Christ in this message in 1975. We can't win any less than that, can we? 
could win more, couldn't we? But if we win any, we'll win one. Well, somebody says, Brother Fazee, the nature of my work is such that I'm helping to keep the whole program going and the program will win somebody. That's what somebody else thinks, too. Somebody else thinks. But it's a sickle that reaps the grain. And a sickle is a hand tool. Right? Now, we're seeking to be practical and frank in this little group, and I want to give you opportunity another morning to express some things yourself. You may, some of you want to say something this morning, but here's a question that I'd like to raise. Is there anybody here this morning that was more active in soul winning before you came to Wildwood than you are now? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I've seen it happen right here on this campus. It's possible for it to happen. Is that what we want? No. No. Now I know there are opportunities for soul winning right here in the institution and on the campus. Very well, let's use them. After all, the matter of where we raise potatoes or strawberries is secondary to the question of are we raising them? See, if we're producing souls where we are, in our homes, in the institution, fine. There are several great reasons why God gave us a field work along with institutional. Looking at it just simply from a medical standpoint, God's great program, brethren, for filling this sanitarium to overflowing is a strong field program running all the time out in the homes of the people. That's his recipe. That's his method of, shall I say, advertising the institution. Now, we're doing quite a bit of that. Thank God we have these wonderful five-day plans and other community efforts. Uh, But none of these things that we do in reaching the masses can take the place of the follow-up work and the preliminary work, both, both preliminary and follow-up, of actually visiting the people in their homes. The patients who come to this sanitarium and go back to Chattanooga or any place within reach, they need to be followed up with visits. They need to see that we're interested in them, not just when they're patients in our beds or on our trails. We're interested in them as people afterwards when there's no pay for that. And there are thousands of others that need to be reached that have never walked these halls. Some of them will if we go out where they are. I want to lay that on your hearts this morning. Now, I was greatly cheered in the assembly last Thursday night to hear some of you tell us that you're arranging the schedules so that people will have more time for this sort of thing. 
uh, I want to challenge the leaders to take the lead. If this little meeting this morning, if all it accomplished was for a number of you to get the burden, to do something definite out in the field, off this campus, once a week, on a regular basis, and take a student or a fellow worker with you. Folks, this would have been a wonderful meeting. A wonderful meeting. This is more than inspiration. It's inspiration harnessed to getting something done. Will you think about that? Now, if you need assignment, talk to Brother Boykin, Brother Niemeyer, Brother Steve Cook, or Sister Vital. And if you can't get to them, talk to me. <laughs> I want to help every one of you to get harnessed up. And if you say, I am so busy doing things that have to be done here, talk with God about it. I have no desire to regiment anybody. Not at all. This is not something that we can do that way. The Lord must lay it on your hearts. But if we will do this work in the field, God will not only fill our institution and our campus to overflowing with people that need help and the kind of people we can best help spiritually in education. He will give to each of us a richer experience because this is what happens, dear ones. This is a law of life. The bread is multiplied as we give it away. Our own souls are blessed as we become the channels. Now, we have four minutes. Will somebody express whatever the Lord has put in your heart this morning, either on something that's been said or something that wasn't said? What have you gotten this morning and what, by God's grace, are you going to do about it? I appreciate this message this morning. Tuesday afternoons, they have a cooking class for the recognition patients here in the sand. And Katie and I have been meaning to use this time to go visit some of the patients that have been here. And one of them in recent days has contacted us. They needed to see us, and we haven't gone. And by God's grace, I determined that we'll use this afternoon to go out and contact some of these ladies that have been here who need some extra help. Beautiful. Now, this is a sample of what I need. Sister Cook and Sister Carpenter, they could go to St. Elmo or Tiftoni or Trenton and simply knock on doors, and that would be good. But this is, oh, ten times more important, to go to people they, they know and that they have contacted here as patients and follow them up, which they can do in a very beautiful way because they've had contact with them here. There's something for all of us. I want to say I'm thankful that I can be here at Wildwood because before I came here, I was not active in soul winning work. I had never given Bible studies. I had preached, but never really went out and did personal work. 
You preached but not practiced, huh? Right. I've had that opportunity here. And I praise the Lord that even my son is active in this work with me. Thank you, brother. Isn't that precious? I want to be sure that when I go out, I take a young man with me. I haven't been doing it. And I've been trying to do it, but it's been hard to find someone who can fit in my schedule. But I'm going to work harder at it. Good. This last Sunday, I went to a home of a man who had been to our last five-day plan. I'm trying to visit at least two or three every Sunday. And we had a chance to have a Bible study. The Lord opened the way. He's a Episcopalian, he and his wife, they were so gracious. He gave a study on Daniel 2. He seems wider than that for studies. Thank you. Thank you. There may be somebody here that would like very much to go with Brother Boykin on some work. Tell him. Let him know. All right. We're going to try to close on time. Let's stand. I know you all have many things to do. Precious Lord, dismiss us with thy blessing and teach us how, with one hand on Jesus, to reach out the other hand to souls that need help. Right here in this building, in our homes, and out as far as thy spirit shall lead us. We thank thee in Jesus' wonderful name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot audioverse.org.